0: guys this morning thanks for bringing the church into this building as I try to say as often as I can reminding us that we are the church God's redeemed uh, if you're new to our Sunday gatherings or if we haven't met yet my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church the guy who gets the, the privilege the task the responsibility most Sundays of preaching God's word and that's surely the case this morning as I stand before you uh, jumping into a sermon series that we began uh, the week after Easter a series entitled Benedictions and Doxologies, uh, a walkthrough, words of blessing, words of praise that we see throughout the scriptures. Um, as, as I've mentioned from week one, and I'll, I'll bring this up in a screenshot for you just so that there's a visual aspect of, of where we're going here. Uh, A.W. Pink, in his commentary uh, on blessings and, and benedictions, Uh, excuse me blessings and uh, uh, doxologies I should say he says a doxology is an ascription of praise a benediction is a word of blessing the one ascends from the heart of the saint to God that is a doxology the other descends from God to the saint that is a benediction a doxology we lift our hands palms down Giving praise to the one who's worthy of all praise with a benediction. We lift our hands palms up in humble reliance that if we are to receive blessing, God must bestow it. He's the source of all blessing. As an example, try to share this each and every week knowing that there are people volunteering in the kids ministry. People are out on vacations or sick just to kind of frame this up well in a shorter series like this. There's a distinction up on the screen behind me, a doxology, an example of that being Jude, verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forevermore, amen. To God be the glory, that's a doxology. benediction, an example of that, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A word of blessing spoken over God's people. The hope of this sermon series, and I've been saying this since week one, is that that you and I would more deeply marvel at God and might increasingly ascribe praise to him who is glorious and praiseworthy, and two, that we might grow in deeper understanding and enjoyment of the blessings that that this praiseworthy God bestows upon his people, recognizing that the Christian life truly lived is a beautiful both and of hands lifted up and heart-filled praise and humble reliance, palms down and palms up. And so with that, I invite you to open up your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. That's where we're going to camp out. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to grab that Bible. Use it during your time with us this morning. Feel free to take that Bible home with you if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures. We'd be excited to know that you're exploring God's Word on your own time. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and and we'll jump into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, you are able. As we'll talk about this morning, as we camp out in Ephesians chapter three, the apostle Paul awakened to your glory, your power, your might, mid-writing, so that this is one of those. uh, doxologies, benedictions that doesn't fall at the end of the letter or the beginning but right in the middle. God, I pray that as a result of our time with your word in front of us this morning and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work as we sit with the scriptures, God, I pray that our lives would reflect something of that wonder that the apostle Paul had that we too would stop mid-task. This afternoon, tomorrow morning, Thursday evening, and, and, and we would just not be able to help ourselves, but simply to break, break free and, and burst forth in praise of who you are and what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do for us in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this time together this means of grace that it is to gather as your people on the Lord's day to explore the scriptures, to receive the Lord's Supper, the gospel made audible and the gospel made visible. Thank you for the blessing of our time together. Spirit of God, I pray that you would move in power. I pray that you would give me a feeling sense of the very things that I preach this morning along with everyone else. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So each week of this series because we're not walking as we typically do through a book of the Bible from start to finish, we want to attempt to frame this up so we don't just treat these doxologies and benedictions as uh, coffee cup phrases framed on our walls but having no understanding of the content uh, context in which uh, these verses sit. And so this morning Ephesians 3 we need to look at Ephesus a little bit In the Apostle Paul's day, Ephesus was a a coastal port city by the sea, uh, accessible by both Greeks and Romans for trade and commerce, known as the Metropolis of Asia. Kind of a big deal. Filled with temples dedicated to Roman emperors, including the great Julius Caesar, a city in which the, the worship of false gods was actually institutionalized so that it was the home of the Temple of Artemis, considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world a temple that brought in people from all over the world to worship so that Ephesus was a political powerhouse. It was a religious mecca. It was an industrial king. It was a city uh, in which the apostle Paul devoted over two years of his life, sharing the gospel in the Jewish synagogue, in the marketplace, and even door to door so that a great many people came to know Jesus, and a church was birthed in one of the most influential cities in the known world. A church surrounded, you can read about this in the book of Acts, by all kinds of cultural and political pressures who yet nonetheless impacted the very economy and religious practice of the city. So that many stopped worshiping the the Greek goddess Artemis. And those making a living selling shrines to Artemis saw their businesses suffer. A church to whom Paul would go on years later to, to write, leaving us without a great deal of certainty as to what prompted this writing. And yet the the structure relatively clear as it divides beautifully into two halves. First three chapters laying out what God has done for us in Christ. The beauty of God's cosmic plan of redemption in Jesus. The hope that's ours by grace through faith in him. Both Jew and Gentile brought together into one family in Christ. The last three chapters laying out how we are to live as his redeemed. The outworking of the gospel in our lives, in our communities, the church, our families, our workplaces, and so on. Recognizing that the spiritual forces of evil are are real, a world with devils filled that would threaten to undo us. And yet, too real is the strength that God supplies the strength of our triumphant King having overcome the powers of darkness. It's in the middle of this incredible letter that Paul declares, Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. The the charted course of, of this sermon series has us uh, sitting with a benediction one week and a doxology the next. A back and forth steady diet of blessing and praise. Blessing and praise. Having spent last week with not only uh, the most well-known word of blessing in all of the Old Testament, but arguably the entire Bible, Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This morning, we, we direct our attention to another of the Bible's great doxologies, one of the Apostle Paul's many ascriptions of praise. One, as I, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, nestled right in the middle of, of this letter to the saints in Ephesus. Paul couldn't seem to make it through the entire writing without breaking out into a song of praise. Praise. Not unlike Paul's letter to the church in Rome, where he sings roughly two-thirds of the way in, Romans chapter 11, of the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, his judgments unsearchable, his ways inscrutable, to him be glory forever. Similarly, Paul here finds himself mid-composition in writing to the, the church in Ephesus, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light this particular doxology or ascription of praise bringing uh, before us a question, namely, how able is the Lord? How able is the Lord? Verse 20, now to him who is able. The word able, verse 20, from the Greek word dunamai, which is where we get our English word dynamite. It's a doxology that sings of God's power. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Or Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. As Paul has already declared at this point in this very letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 23 Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That our God is an all-powerful God who displays his mighty power in creation and redemption. How able is he? How able is the Lord? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, The Greek word translated far more abundantly is what's known as an emphatic superlative. It's the highest form of comparison imaginable, meaning very much in excess of, and that doesn't even go far enough, meaning beyond all measure. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, how great the Father's power, how vast beyond all measure too. A power that stretches beyond all that we could ever ask. In one sense, meaning, and think about this, that our prayers aren't big enough to capture all that God is able to accomplish in his power. We sing from time to time in our Sunday gatherings. I shared this even just a couple weeks ago. Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The entirety of the universe, were it a scroll, wouldn't be big enough to fully and comprehensively capture the love of God in words. So too, our prayers will never be big enough to fully and comprehensively capture all that God is able to accomplish in his power. Which I pray doesn't deter us from prayer, but rather awakens our hearts to, to dream bigger and pray bigger in accordance with his kingdom and for his glory. Brooks and I have some, some friends who moved from another part of the world, an area that's significantly unreached. And these friends aren't believers. I started praying for their salvation And then one day it dawned on me, why am I only praying for their salvation? Why don't I pray that they would be saved and they'd go back to that part of the world where they have roots and take the gospel there? If he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, then what are we not asking in accordance with his kingdom and for his glory? As I heard it put in a conference not too long ago... If Jesus showed up today and said, give me the the top five names you've been praying for for their salvation and I'll save them right now. How would we respond to that? God's power stretches, Paul says, beyond all that we could ever ask. In one sense, meaning that our prayers aren't big enough to capture all that God is able to accomplish in his power. In another sense, meaning that we oftentimes ask with limited perspectives and sinful motivations for that which is not actually best for us nor honorable to the one we're asking. I say this on the regular. If we were to give our kids what they wanted in terms of dieting, their teeth would rot out by the end of the week. They say, mommy, daddy, things that rot our teeth out, please. And we say, how about we do far more than you could ask with a steady diet that's better for you? Right, we have a limited perspective on life, all of us, compared to God's comprehensive, all-knowing view of the world. He, he wields his power in perfect sovereignty, perfect wisdom, perfect love, even when his answer is not in accordance with our asking. A God who invites us to trust that he's fulfilling his promises and accomplishing his purposes for his glory and the eternal joy and good of his people down to even the deepest suffering and most tragic loss. God's power stretches, Paul says, beyond all that we could ever ask, but more than that, God's power stretches, Paul says, beyond all that we could ever think just prior to this description of praise, Paul describes God's love as the love of Christ, verse 19, that surpasses knowledge. A love that breaks the banks of our understanding. Here declaring, verse 20, that God's power breaks the banks of our imagination. So that whatever we might imagine God's power to be, it's greater. Brian Chapel, in his commentary on this passage, he says, how do we measure what he can do? He holds the whole earth in his hand. He created the universe but continues to control the light in your room and the decay of an atom in the most distant galaxy. He makes the flowers grow and the snow fall. He rides on the wings of a storm and holds a butterfly in the air. And he who was before the beginning of all we know still uses time as his tool of healing, restoration, and retribution. Our thoughts are as but a... As a window to him. Generations, he says, to come from us are already known fully to him who loves our family more than we do. He looks at the length of our life as a handbreadth and makes our soul, though sinful, his treasure forever. Such is the God who hears our prayers and is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can even imagine. We worship and serve a God whose power stretches beyond all that we could ever ask and all that we could ever imagine. As if that weren't enough to to awaken our hearts in praise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's not just that God's infinite power is at work in controlling the decay of an atom in the most distant galaxy. That's true. But in context, Paul declares that his infinite power is at work within you and within me. Paul's just given an example of what that means, by the way, in the very words preceding this incredible doxology. Declaring that it's this beyond our imagination power of God that strengthens us to comprehend the knowledge surpassing love of God. Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, just preceding this doxology, Paul says, may God grant you, here it is, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, a power within us, so that, Paul says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, here it is, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That passage is its own sermon. Another sermon for another day. But suffice it to say, in the context of this letter, that one way God's power is at work within us is in his helping us to comprehend the knowledge-surpassing love of God in Christ Jesus strengthening us another way to stand firm against the evil one Ephesians 6:10 his power at work within us strengthening us to abound in hope Romans 15:13 his power at work within us strengthening us for all endurance and patience with joy Colossians 1:11 his power at work within us strengthening us to serve the body with our varied gifts 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11 and on and on we could go And exploring the the many ways in which God works his power within his people. A God who is able, Paul says, to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. Worthy of all praise, this God of infinite power and knowledge surpassing love. So that it comes as no surprise that Paul would go on. To him be the glory. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, when we looked at the, the doxology at the end of Romans, glory from the Greek word doxa, it's where we get the word doxology, literally meaning a word of glory or an utterance of glory. I love the way John Piper puts it in looking at Ephesians 3. He says, when the massive weather front of God's love meets the massive weather front of God's power in the heart of a believer... It produces a hurricane of confidence called Gloria, a powerful doxology. To God be the glory, the God of infinite power and knowledge surpassing love. On the one hand, Paul says glory in the church. Paul having declared just a few verses prior to this doxology that it's through the church, Ephesians 3.10, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known that the beauty of God's wisdom is made known through the church as is his infinite power and redeeming love. In the words of one pastor, God decreed in eternity that by means of the church, he would show forth his perfection in the eternal ages to come. To him be glory in the church, the body, and to him be glory in Christ Jesus, the head. He is the radiance of the glory of God Hebrews chapter one, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, the preexistent creator of all things, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He who made purification for sins through the shedding of his own blood and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the rightful heir of all things, God's ultimate and final message to mankind, greater than the angels, greater than Moses, the perfect and final sacrifice for sin, The exalted high priest of heaven who intercedes for his people. The great shepherd of the sheep whose blood has established an eternal covenant. As Paul declares elsewhere in Colossians 1. He, Jesus, is the invisible God made visible. Sovereign and supreme in rule and reign over all creation. The word through whom all things were spoken into existence. That he might receive honor, glory, and praise. The one who upholds the entirety of the created order, governing all that he sustains toward a full and final consummation for his glory. The risen king exercising sovereign lordship over the church, his redeemed, seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion, Paul says. He from whom we, the church, derive our life, our nourishment, our growth, as we hold fast to him, the head of the body, sovereign Lord of the redeemed. To God be glory in the church, the body. To God be glory in Christ Jesus, the head. For how long? How about throughout all generations forever and ever? That just as God's power is beyond the bounds of our imagination, so he will be glorified on into the boundless wonders of eternity. With our, our favorite athletes, glory for a generation Maybe a few for the all-time greats. Same things uh, with our favorite actors and filmmakers, songwriters and musicians. Not so with God. He will forever show forth His perfection in the eternal ages to come in and through His glorified redeemed. And He will forever show forth His perfection in the eternal ages to come in and through His glorified Son. Christ Jesus A glory that, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, when we looked at that doxology in Romans 16, that must be admired, this glory, and treasured for eternity. A glory that that will indeed be admired and and treasured for all eternity. But as I mentioned too a couple weeks ago, we, we cannot and must not wait to ascribe glory and praise to this praiseworthy God of creation and redemption. That perhaps... For some, today is the day of salvation, the day to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him, the day to fall at his feet and declare, to use the the language of this morning's passage, I'm not able, I can't do it, I can't rescue myself, Jesus. But God, you're mighty to save those who trust in Christ. For all of us, I... I pray that the Lord would continue to awaken our our hearts to the wonder of his infinite power and redeeming love. That we wouldn't settle for a life lived in our own strength. But would in all things, come what may, trust the God who is able. A God whose power stretches beyond all that we could ask or think a power at work within us even now. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And the church joined the Apostle Paul in saying, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings, that's C R O S S P O I N T E P T C dot